chapter eleven of the splendid outcast by george gibbs this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva confessions it all seemed like a horrible dream to moira the revelation of harry's vileness the prison by the river the police the escape of jim horton with the unknown woman the homeward ride with the police officer and the night in the studio apartment with locked doors waiting listening for harry's return until at last through sheer exhaustion of mind and body she had fallen asleep and then the visit the next day of the police officer the questions that she had to answer but he got nothing from her beyond the mere skeleton of the tale which she had given the night before she wouldn't tell how she got to the rue charron some instinct still sealing her lips as to her husband's share in the adventure and inventing a tale that seemed to satisfy the requirements of the interview no crime had been actually committed though all the circumstances were suspicious the officer told her that a search would be made for the man named tricot and that madame horton should hold herself in readiness to appear against him if necessary at some future time the return of harry horton her husband the next afternoon contrite and humility itself was unpleasant but they reached an understanding pending the return of barry quinlevin from ireland she kept the secret of her visit to the house in the rue charron and her knowledge of the escape of the prisoner she saw that her husband was worried and furtive and she had no difficulty in exacting from him a promise not to molest her in return she promised silence and he departed with every protestation of friendship and goodwill somewhat reassured as to her intentions as to jim horton the twin brother who had worked such havoc in her life moira was very much troubled and disturbed the hurt to her pride was grievous but the joy she had in the very thought of him seemed to assuage all wounds she knew now that if he had died in the house in the rue charron that night she would have worshipped him all her life as a martyr to their unfortunate affection and the memories of jim horton's tenderness on the day of their parting the gentleness of his abnegation his struggle against the temptation of her nearness all these thoughts of him obliterating the horrors that had followed returned and engulfed her with pity their love had seemed so perfect a thing but now a mockery she felt very friendless in the big studio very much alone and yet could she confess to her father her love for this brother who had come in and taken harry's place the hurt to her pride burned again angrily her father like herself had been deceived by the brother at the hospital and what sympathy could she expect from him he would be furious at the deception that had been practised upon them both and would perhaps take harry's part against her 
moira clenched her hands and stared long into the gray cinders of the fireplace if it was to be war she would fight she had married harry in a moment of pity because her father had wished it but the understanding had been definite and now she would rather run away even from her father than to fulfill the terrible vows she had taken jim horton she wanted to hear his side of the story reviving faith in him made her sure that if he were alive he would come to her and tell her everything a cautious step on the stair outside a knock she went over quickly turned the key in the lock opened the door then stood staring unable to speak it's i moira said jim horton gently you she faltered i said that i would come back but i was detained he said coolly if he had expected her to be surprised at his appearance out of uniform she gave no sign of it she opened wide the door and stood aside i-i know she murmured i won't stay long but there were some things i wanted you to know some facts in extenuation of my conduct that may make you think less bitterly of me you look ill she said staring at him it is all too horrible to think about horrible if you like he said slowly misinterpreting her meaning but done in a weak moment with a good motive oh not that i mean what they did to you the danger you passed through you know of that yes i followed harry and got the police it was you good god it was the least that i could do after i found out from him what had happened he stared at her in incomprehension you mean that he confessed to you she nodded and then laughed nervously i don't know why i should be keeping you standing at the door sill like a model if you've much to say you'd better say it sitting jim horton he started and stared at her but she had closed the door behind him and led the way with an assumption of carelessness to the chairs by the dead fire as though aware of its symbolism you know the truth she shrugged what harry my husband has told me no more no less he marvelled at her ease at the cruelty of her chosen phrases and yet he could not cavil at them it was clear that she meant that there were to be no further misunderstandings that she was shifting the burden to his shoulders where it belonged the sense of his culpability weighed upon him and he did not look at her and so he missed the quick anxious sensitive glances that searched his face for the truth in his heart but he bent his head forward and stared into the ashes that had glowed so warmly a few nights ago i have come to speak the truth he began his voice deep resonant and trembling with his emotion a visit of confession and renunciation it's rather late isn't it she said in a hard little voice that he scarcely recognized as her own he knew that he deserved this of her and more but it cut him none the less i will tell you the truth he went on firmly and then you shall judge for yourself i owe it to you to tell the facts but i owe it to myself too 
she nodded and sat and so quietly neglecting no detail he told her of harry from the moment of their meeting on the battlefield until they had met outside in the rue de Tavenne. he heard moira gasp at the mention of harry's cowardice but he went on to the end without pause something of what followed you know he went on quietly i tried to tell them the truth in the hospital i said i wasn't harry horton they didn't believe me they thought i was still out of my head and so i lay there for a while silent i think i must have been pretty weak he paused a moment to gather his thoughts there were some letters to harry i had no right to read them but i did a letter from you to him about your marriage showing what a farce it was a letter from barry quinlevin he paused and frowned it was an invasion of your privacy and his but you were nothing to me then i was sure that i would never meet you i thought that i would wait a few days before i tried to tell the officers of the hospital who i was it was a hard thing to do because it meant that i would have to pay the penalty of a military crime but sure after what you'd done mora's voice broke in clearly they couldn't be punishing you disgraceful imprisonment and for harry the penalty of desertion in the face of the enemy you see there were two of us to consider yes i understand then you came suddenly without warning his voice sank to a deep murmur and he bent his head it was a moment for decision i hadn't it i was weak i let you believe that i was your husband it it seemed the easiest way just then god knows i meant you no harm and god knows i've suffered for it he rose and leaned upon the mantel his face turned away from her summoning courage for the harder thing that he still had to say and there's something else that made me do what i did he began something more he heard her question what do you mean he paused a moment it's hard to tell you but i must and then have you ever heard of the duc de vautrin he asked yes she uttered in bewildered tone the name is familiar to me but what mr quinlevin has mentioned him yes i think so a man he met many years ago in ireland but why do you ask because his life and yours are bound up in each other mine he paused painfully moira perhaps i'm breaking all the ties in your life that you had thought most sacred but i've got to tell you what i know i don't understand you frighten me god knows i've given you pain enough already i'm a bird of ill omen but i'm going on if you'll let me she sat motionless her strained white hands gripping the chair arm under the cover of the dressing-table in the room there where i slept are the two letters that i read in my bed in the hospital the one from you the one from barry quinlevin i left them there when i went away unless someone has removed them they should be there now in obedience to the suggestion she rose and went quickly out into the hall and into the deserted room harry had not entered it nor had she even told him of the valises containing his impedimenta that had been sent down from headquarters the letters were there 
trembling with uncertainty she found them and glanced at the familiar handwriting her own and her father's and then came back to the door of the studio there she stood a moment weighing the letters in her hands jim horton stood as she had left him leaning upon the mantel-shelf his gaze upon the extinguished fire it seemed that lost in his own gloomy reverie he had already forgotten her never in all the weeks that she had known him not even when he had lain in his hospital bed had he seemed a more pitiful figure than now needing her as she god help her needed him what did it matter what this letter contained in her heart she knew that the only thing that mattered to her was the love that this man bore her she had recognized it in the deep tones of his voice which had thrilled her again and in the attitude of submission which had anticipated the change in her sentiments it was a moment for decisions like his moment in the hospital she had only to tell him to go and she knew that he would have obeyed her but like jim horton she no longer had the strength some instinct told her that here in this outcast soldier this splendid outcast was a rock that she could cling to she glanced over the stair and then entering the studio quietly slowly approached him letters in hand you wish me to read she asked yes please moira she glanced at him and then sank into the armchair and opened barry quinlevin's letter for a long while there was no sound but the rustle of the paper in her fingers at last he heard her stir slightly and glanced up at her her face was deathly pale my father david the money has stopped coming what does it all mean she asked and what are those papers what is the agency working against him and what does he mean by putting the screws on it means that barry quinlevin is is blackmailing the duc de vautrin has been doing so for years he said in a suppressed tone she rose and faced him her breast heaving blackmail my father he bowed his head unfortunately it's the truth he spoke to me of it in the hospital thinking i was harry she raised the letter again and read i can't believe i can't but her words trailed off into silence as she read again the damning phrases his heart was full of tenderness and pity for her and he caught her by the hand moira dear he murmured i wouldn't have spoken of this but you are involved i couldn't understand for a long while they're using you as a cat's paw a snare a stool pigeon perhaps you don't even know the meaning of the words it's too hideous using me she seemed unaware of her fingers still in his how can they use me i know nothing whatever of this affair he led her to her chair again and made her sit listen he said gently and i will tell you all that i've found out about it i can't believe who has told you piquette morin piquette her brows drew together a friend of of your husband's he said it was she who first discovered our dual identity in the cafe javet a friend of harry's 
who took pity on me the woman who who helped you to escape she gasped awakening yes she shared the secrets of this intrigue and when they knocked me out she guessed the truth found out where they had put me and went in through the passage from the river it was she who took me back to her apartment and nursed me oh she faltered i-i see but what reason have you to believe that she speaks the truth he had taken his place by the mantle again unfortunately i had already proved it by the mouth of harry himself he broke off and met her piteous eyes squarely oh i wouldn't have cared what they did if they if you hadn't been a part of the plan i would have told you who i was the other night and gone away but it was too cruel barry quinlevin is a strange man he loves you perhaps he wants to see you rich happy but he became desperate when the source of his income was cut off the irish rents there were no irish rents moira the source of his income all these years and yours has been the duc de vautrin hush money paid to keep a secret holy virgin then i she paused bewildered by the very terror of her thoughts listen moira you must know it all as nearly as i can get it the story is this twenty-five years ago the duc de vautrin married an irish heiress from athlone in galway named mary callenby receiving with her her immense dot with a provision from her father's will that if any child was born the fortune should go to that child in the event of the mother's death callenby whispered moira half to herself athlone the duc de vautrin was a beast and mistreated his wife so that she ran away from him into ireland where a daughter was born to her mary callenby dying in childbirth and then softly do you follow me moira it's very important i'm trying to follow you she murmured painfully when mary callenby left the duc de vautrin went upon a voyage around the world enjoying himself with her money for two years and unaware of the death of his wife or of the birth of his little daughter who was cared for and nursed by a woman named nora burke nora burke moira had started up suddenly in her chair her eyes wide with sudden comprehension you remember her he said my old nurse yes it's here that the story involves your fortunes and and barry quinlevin's the infant daughter of the duc de vautrin died at the end of a few months without his being aware of it without his even being aware that a daughter had been born the death of this child was kept a secret but why why pleaded moira a glimmering of the intrigue coming to her jim horton turned away again because it was necessary that the duc de vautrin should remain in ignorance of it holy virgin you mean that nora nora burke and barry quinlevin you were of the same age as the child of the duc de vautrin there were few neighbors your mother had also died in childbirth nora burke came into barry quinlevin's house as nurse oh it is impossible gasped moira i can't 
i can't believe it it is what i'm to help you to prove but there must be papers birth certificates witnesses perhaps i don't know moira all of these things seem uncertain the idea is that barry quinlevin taking pity on the fatherless child of the duke and mourning his own child that had died had brought the little girl into his own house to keep her until the duke's return oh it is infamous that was the way nora burke came into the house of barry quinlevin and that was the way you became the daughter and heiress of mary callenby i her heiress he nodded i do not know all the facts but it seems that when the duc de vautrin returned to paris he was met by barry quinlevin with proofs of his daughter's existence it was to the duke's interest to keep the matter secret since the income from the callenby fortune which he enjoyed would of course go to the child and from that day to this the matter has been kept a secret and barry quinlevin has been paid for keeping it moira had risen and was pacing up and down the length of the studio it is too horrible it bewilders me who told you all this piquette morin harry told her and and harry his interests and yours were the same she buried her face in her hands for a moment wait she gasped i must think think so jim horton was silent watching her anguish with pity and anxiety but at last she grew calmer and sank into the chair reading barry quinlevin's letter to harry again and yet this might refer to something something else she pleaded catching at any straw that would save her from this disgrace he shook his head i wish i could reassure you but i can't the facts are too clear she was silent a moment breathing hard it was terrible for you to have to tell me this yes but you understand that i had to don't you she bowed her head and he went on and now i only want you to tell me how i can help you how i can make things easier what shall i do what can i she halted again intimidated at the thought of her father and then if i were only sure of course the duc de vautrin must be told at once there's no hurry you must think it over verify my statements when you can yes yes i must i refute them i see that i want to help you i'll do anything yes i know she paused again whom can i trust now he caught her fingers and pressed them softly to his lips it is a terrible situation for you but you can't go on as a partner in this intrigue no of course i must be finding out speaking to to him to my father and then turning to him whom can i trust unless it's you he relinquished her fingers and turned away i deceived you moira cheated you that doesn't matter now nothing matters you mean that you will forgive me he leaned forward toward her searching her face eagerly yes yes she whispered moira god help me i've the need of you 
he fell to his knees beside the chair and took her in his arms her trouble was so great the crisis in her life so tragic i've tried to make myself believe i didn't care she went on whispering that everything should be as it was before you came i tried you poor child but in spite of myself in spite of everything my faith in you is just the same thank god for that we must find a way out but she shook her head no there's no way out i'm sure of that for me and you it's wrong all wrong but she did not refuse him her lips now and he held her close in his arms moira he whispered it was meant to be it's all wrong all wrong she repeated and then with a sigh its very sweetness is terrible he touched her brow tenderly with his lips and then gently released her do you want me to go but her fingers still held him no no not yet not just yet jim this is our moment yours and mine and i've been wanting you so you knew that i'd come back to you didn't you dear i've been praying that you would you won't be going jim away as you said you would no dear not not if you need me not if you want me but i'm a nondescript now a deserter an outcast the cruelty of it you i got what i deserved he said with a smile and harry i can't be staying here if he's going to be here jim the very touch of his fingers the sight of him knowing what i do he won't dare i would have him broken and give yourself up to the military police no you can't be thinking of that i'm not afraid of him nor of my father but they can't be disgracing you you must keep in hiding i see it all now but you won't be going away jim promise me that you won't go away and you'll let me see you yes i must see you i can't let you go not yet jim i know it's wrong i don't care about the wrong to harry but i do think of the wrong i do myself and you my love for you has been so clean so beautiful jim it can't be anything else for either of us i love you moria dear i needn't tell you how don't you suppose that i know it already jim but it's so hopeless your marriage a joke it means nothing a hideous joke but a marriage just the same you can't be tied to this man always i am tied to him oh jim she broke off in her despair don't be making it more difficult don't be pleading with me for that it's impossible i'd like to be going with you away somewhere just you and i but i can't i'll have patience some day no dear that's the worst of it it can't be ever i have sworn she stopped and they both listened moira started frightened from somewhere down the stairway outside came the sounds of a laugh and of voices in conversation harry she gasped and with quick presence of mind ran to the door turned the key in the lock and then listened my father too they mustn't find you here yes said jim coolly i think we'd better have this thing out here and now 
no no she whispered tensely it would be the end of all things not yet i must have time to think already there was a knock upon the door moira had caught jim by the arm and was hurrying him toward a closet in the corner of the room in here quickly she whispered you must my father will go in the other rooms but moira as you love me please she pleaded pushing him in shutting the door then breathless she turned and faced the door into the hallway End of chapter eleven